listening to the Pay Chen Show on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. Hey, welcome to the show. One week to Halloween. Are you ready? The only reason, I, you know, I'm, sometimes I forget what day it is. And then, uh, and then I look at my Facebook and people are already in like Halloween makeup and costumes. And I realize like, oh, oh, we're almost at the end of the month. Uh, I would love to know. You can text in at 71010. Tell me your favorite Halloween candy from when you were a kid. Because some of those things, I don't know that you can buy them anymore. I don't even know. Well, things like I remember, uh, I never liked the O. Henry uh, mini chocolate bars. But I do remember that those were my dad's favorites when we when we came back with our loot bag because no one gives out things with peanuts anymore, which is which is fair. But there are a lot of things that um, I think maybe we used to get in the 70s and 80s that uh, are totally different now. I don't even know what sort of candy is is popular now. I don't think we had the same sort of variety. But text in 71010, uh, take a walk down memory lane. Tell me what candy or chocolate you used to love getting when you were trick-or-treating as a kid. And I'd love to read out some of them. So again, 71010. Um, I also have some news about the show, which I'll share with you in uh, just a few minutes. But coming up in the second half of the show, I'm looking forward to my chat with a cognitive neuroscientist, mostly because he sounds really smart. Um, but he's going to talk about the sort of like the psychology of why we love being scared, why we love and hate being scared. So things like, you know, going through a haunted house, even though we know what's coming, why is it that we can get so frightened? Um, why are we scared of the dark in our own home, in rooms that we're familiar with? So he's got some really interesting sort of insight and information that is fun and might even help you if you are planning to scare some trick-or-treaters this coming weekend, because he'll even talk about um, how people plan a haunted house and the best way, I think, to, let's say, maximize the spookiness or the scariness. Scariness, so you can really just scare the crap out of the kids who come trick-or-treating to your house this Halloween. So tune in for that. That should be a lot of fun. Um, so this is going to be my last show on Sunday nights tonight. I know it's a little short notice. It just a lot of a few changes happen at the station. And um, so that's sort of unfortunate for people who have been with me through the past two years who typically listen to the radio on Sunday evenings, whether it's unwinding at home or you're you know driving back from the cottage during the summer um, wherever it might be that you typically tune in between eight and nine on Sundays uh, I'm not sure yet what's going to take this time slot but uh, I, the show will be moving to Saturday afternoons at 3 p.m so that's right after a Ted Wallace show so you can still catch me there but if you prefer to listen on Sunday nights then I encourage you to download the podcasts every week because you can find them in iTunes and you can find it on uh, paychen.com. So I hope that you'll follow me over to Saturday afternoons if you're able to. But if not, I hope you'll still tune in and um, catch up on the podcast and still interact with me online, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at paychen is where you can find me. Well, my first two guests uh, are two women, both mothers, both entrepreneurs. Both have worked on various uh, projects in Toronto that I think you'll be very familiar with. Um, and they've teamed up to form a really cool new company with a great new app that's going to make 
your meal's easier. It's going to change everything. But we're going to they're going to stick around for the first half of the show. We'll tell you more about that. So in studio with me, I've got Trish Magwood, food author, uh, TV host, and personality, the woman behind Dish Cooking Studio, and uh, Hassel Aviles. All right, she's giving me a thumbs up. Who brought you? Who brought the city some amazing food events with the Toronto Underground Market, which launched a lot of brand new food companies, restaurants, food trucks. It was really sort of the launch pad for a lot of new food businesses in the city. And you were both sort of nodding a little bit when I was talking about the Halloween candy. So can I get <laughs> your favorites from when you were a kid? Absolutely. So okay. So okay, Hassel. Um, most of my favorites, definitely red licorice. Oh, the Twizzlers, right? When they, yeah. Healthy. Guilty pleasure. (laughs) Oh, I see that is so bad, but I can't lie. I love it. Now it's dark chocolate, but back then it was Twizzlers. Yeah. Trish, favorite? like Mars bars. Caramel. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, I got a massive sweet tooth. Mm. So do I. Not just Halloween. But yeah, all year round. It's like Halloween. <laughs> but I'm for a mother, me, so we're not gonna encourage that. Now, what do you give out at Halloween then? Same. Same thing. You, do you give out your favorites? Bit. Do you oh. give out the things that you like? Always. Yeah. yeah. So Same you're giving out candies? Them. Peanut MMs. Can you buy those in the small packages? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you can? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Just not at school, but you can give it out on Halloween. Yeah. Because it's we're sort of doing the week um, week lead up. We've already sort of started to dip into the Halloween candy. <laughs> nice. I, so when do, so okay, Trish, when did you buy the Halloween candy? Like, how far in advance do you prepare? I'm not telling you. <laughs> You're like, I've been pre- I've been buying Halloween candy since March. <laughs> I'm an ongoing stash. I have that too, and I don't even. I live in a condo. We don't even get kids. I'm like, oh, I think it's time I buy some Halloween. It's time exactly. I buy this pack box of forty bags of chips which I'll just eat by myself. Um, someone wrote in and said that, oh, a toffee apple mm. or the Macintosh toffee. In the, oh. oh, do you remember the Mac? That stuff would break your teeth. Mm-hmm. You'd pull out fillings with that. Um, the Jawbreakers, yeah, those were a good one. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if they still sell those little Halloween kisses anymore, those ones in the black mm-hmm. and orange. Do you remember? Those were, I, I never do. liked those them. Those always stayed at the bottom of the bag. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Those are the ones I used totally. to try to put in my brother's bag because we would dump everything, <laughs> yeah. the two of us, we would dump everything out. And then I would try to convince him that, my trades were to his advantage because at a certain point he must when you're be younger he is younger <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and when you're young enough you don't really like understand so i would convince him that volume beat out quantity so it was like take two of these disgusting halloween kisses but i will only take one box of smarties and there's like maybe only one or two years when you can successfully do that as an older sibling and then after that, well, you just have to steal their, you just have to steal their chocolates. Exactly. <laughs> um, so text in at 71010, share your favorite Halloween treats with me. So the two of you, how long have you known each other? Or did you come together sort of because of this project? We came together over the project, but we've yeah. certainly known of each other. I watched what Hassel did at uh, Toronto Underground Market. And the food world is a small world. It is a very small <laughs> world, like in in, G, in the GTA, in Toronto. It really is. Um and we're going to talk more after the break about this really cool new project that you've started. But I imagine that between the two of you and your years in the food industry, you've really seen how um, the appetites have changed. Can Definitely. you talk a bit about that, Hazel? Oh, the appetites have changed a lot. I mean, my first restaurant job, I was 17 years old, and it wasn't so much we had a non-existent street food industry back then. Now we have a little bit more of an interest in that. It's a little bit more multicultural, which is very exciting. Um, but there's a lot more consciousness around 
the quality of ingredients I found. Yeah. How about you, Trish? Oh, the food industry has changed so much. Um, it's now multifaceted. People are looking for an experience. It's really three-dimensional. We connect around food, not just at home, but in a restaurant, or if you're standing getting quick takeout. It's how we converse and connect is around food. So I think that's a that's a big thing and one that we're really connecting over, which is really exciting. Now, do you find um, some people having like much higher expectations now? Like what we used to accept as pretty good or, you know, this is just this is just dinner or this is what the experience is when you go out or when you order in. Um, are we becoming fussier or have we like are we accept just more accepting of things? Like it could be either or. I think we're more educated. We know more, and our kids are um, are so educated. I mean, they they haven't. Hassel and I have kids similar ages, and they yeah. haven't experienced fast food. I mean, it's just not something that. And the schools are doing a really good job teaching kids what is good, and so a lot of it is access to. Yeah, I, I think that our our standards have increased, but it doesn't mean that it's synonymous with formality. We can mm -hmm. have the absolute best meal that is super delicious and that is really casual. Um, and I think that's that accessibility is um, is something that, that we're doing together, which is really fun. Oh, absolutely. I totally agree with everything Trish said because the education piece especially and just the awareness. I mean, my daughter knows things that I never knew. How old are your age. kids? <laughs> Uh, five and eight. Mm -hmm. And they're seven, nine, and 12. Okay. Yeah. So, for example, um, they both like to watch the Food Network, mm -hmm. for example. So, not only do they know about the local ingredients and the farmer's markets and the restaurants and all of that, but they also understand really unique ingredients that I didn't know until, I don't know, the last 10 years. <laughs> That's a good point because when I was growing up, the only TV I... I watched once in a while was like sometimes cartoons, exactly. sometimes Three's Company. Exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. Exactly. Sometimes Happy Days, but I wasn't getting much that was educating me. No. You know, in in terms of food. Not let's in terms say, of food. Right? Like my food network was watching my mom. Cook. Yeah. True. <laughs> and that was the only way you might learn. And I mean for me, my mom never wanted us around when she was cooking because we got <laughs> in the way. So when I graduated university, I couldn't cook for the life of me. So I watched shows on the Food Network. So thank you, Trish, for helping me learn how to cook. Exactly. <laughs> in my exactly. 20s. Because it was shows like that, or it was shows like um Sugar with Anna Olson. Those were the shows where wow. I learned the the very basics of cooking and the very basics um of baking because I didn't I didn't have those skills growing up despite coming from a family that was involved with food because mm -hmm. that was their business. They didn't want kids, you know, at their feet. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, Hassel and Trish are going to stick around. We're going to tell you about the really cool new uh, venture that they have started up, which you can also get involved in, and that will change the way you eat. You're listening to The Pay Chen Show on In-Depth Radio News Talk 1010. More with Pay Chen. On In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. Happy Sunday night, and thanks for tuning in. Uh, my guest, Trish Magwood, food author, media personality, uh, the host of Party Dish on the Food Network for several years, and the woman behind Dish Cooking Studios. Also, I've just learned, is an excellent skipper, and apparently we could have swapped bios. So Trish and I are essentially the same person <laughs> with varying levels of experience in food. <laughs> but we're we are both 
We're both really good at skipping, and I'm assuming you're really good at cartwheels, and my cartwheels could use a little bit of work. They're a bit rusty. <laughs> I've also got Hassel here, Hassel Aviles, who has uh, been in the food industry for almost 20 years and co-founded the popular La Carnita restaurant and also created a lot of buzz in the city when you launched the Toronto Underground Market. And that went on for a couple of years. Those were a series of pop-up events that became, the, that was really the start and the launching pad for many successful businesses in the city. So food trucks, catering companies, restaurants as well. A lot of them had their start um, at the Toronto Underground Market. I think of success stories like um, you know, uh, Rock Lobster, for example, that started at Toronto Underground Market. Um, Fidel Gastro. Fidel Lisa Gastro's Marie, and Lisa. Now in his yeah. Second or third season of his show. Absolutely. And books and yeah. And then La Carnita as well, which has expanded. <clears throat> so um, a lot of people, you know, really were able to leverage these small food events because th there was an appetite for it. There is a hunger, I think, in this city for new things, new flavors, uh, new types of food to try and eat. So the two of you, along with a few other people, have come together to launch a really cool new way of, I guess, finding lunch and dinner, and you're incorporating technology into it as well. So it's called Feast. All right. So uh, tell me about it. Trish, I'll get you to maybe give me a the summary of what this is. Sure. Um, Feast is really changing the food delivery standards uh, in this country. Um, so we're a food product and delivery experience. So it's local, delicious, healthy food delivered hot to your doorstep with a few clicks on your phone. So it's really easy to navigate. Okay. So it's going to be uh, launched through an app, right? Which will be up in a couple of weeks. So mid-November. Right. Mid-November. So right. with this app, then you you order your lunch or dinner, basically? Mm -hmm. Okay, so tell me, how is this different then from the apps for restaurants where I can just go on and click and order <clears throat> my, my dinner delivered from my favorite restaurant or those apps that exist that are food delivery apps where they go and they pick up dinner for me at, right. you know, from a list of restaurants and it shows up at my door. So how is Feast different? That's right. So I would say our, our biggest difference is that we're essentially using the best ingredients, equipment, and hiring the top talent to deliver contemporary restaurant quality food hot to your door. The difference is that we're the first full stack food technology company in Toronto doing this um, from an app. So not only eventually we will be web, but to start we'll be an app. You'll be able to download our app from the app store. Um, in mid-November, and we're in con full control of the entire experience. So we've hired our chefs, we've curated our menu, it's all produced out of our own production kitchen, and then put into our beautiful electric BMW cars or our <laughs> Dutch bikes with our custom-made boxes and driven hot to your doors. So there's no wait time, and, and everything about it is within our grasp. Okay, so... Because I guess if I'm going to play devil's advocate, I'll just be like, well, I can still order dinner from whatever chain or restaurant. But you're telling me that this is going to this is going to be better. The quality is going to be better. The I will say too, the main differentiator is the selection of ingredients. Okay, our ethos, our food guiding principles, and our ethos is really different than most of the restaurants in the city. We've hired one of in my opinion, the city's best chefs. Um, our executive chef is Kurt Martin, who used to own and operate the Harvard Room and THR & Co. Mm -hmm. He has a really deep understanding and very 
the same philosophies that we all have about food and trying to balance it with delicious flavor, never sacrificing on flavor and the quality of ingredients using as much local as we can, but at the same time balancing that with the multiculturalism that we have in the city. Okay. So when you decided to get on board with this business and this company and you thought, you know what? Yeah, I like the idea of this. I want to work my butt off and I want to attach my name to it. And because you're both, um, you're both moms of young kids, you've both worked in different companies and businesses within the food industry. What was it about this that made you, especially because it's a startup, right? So there's always a little unknown and there's often, it's not a 40 hour work week necessarily. There's a lot of extra to be done. Uh, What was it about this that made you think like, yeah, I want to do this. Trish? This is a big idea. Uh, and it's a food idea, and anything that's a food or lifestyle concept um, that is big is interesting to me. And when people use the word entrepreneur, I suppose it means different things to different people, but I think Hassel and I have a similar appetite to Steve Harmer, who is the founder um, and who runs the company, and that is that we've got a, we're genuinely passionate about big new ideas and this is a big new idea and we all share the same philosophy which is quality this is about this company is is born around the idea that we have a deep relationship with the growers the farmers the suppliers the people in our backyard so this is really this is like farm to table turned farm to app Uh, (laughs) and it's really bringing together all the things that really matter to us and the other thing is is we spend a lot of time working we as people bust our butts for long work days and you want to work with good people and so when i met steve and met hassel and met the rest of the team um these are people i wanted to work with and we have aligned visions and mutual respect and there's a big part of that and you pull all the people together and the sum is greater than its part. So it's kind of exciting and crazy and it's big. This is a big idea. You know, a lot of people, um, a lot of listeners, I think, too, who are parents and, you know, whether it's, it could be moms or dads, but we throw around the term mompreneur because it's sometimes a little bit risky to attach yourself to something that's brand new, that's not established, that hasn't been done. Um, Hassel, what is it like to sort of be those things where you're like, okay, I've got a family, um, but at the same time, I want to do something different. I want to this challenge of something new and kind of unknown. I think I'm addicted to that. <laughs> Are you addicted to the high, like that I, adrenaline? I think I'm an entrepreneur junkie. I love the challenge of trying to do something that hasn't been done before. I did that with Tum, and I can't wait to do this again with Feast. It's I I really think it's going to be one of those things that you truly have to download it, do the three, four taps and get this beautiful meal that you get to share with your family to truly understand and appreciate all of the work that Trish is saying that we're putting in and all of the talent that's on our team. I I just I'm so excited for Toronto to experience Feast. Now, because you both have a lot of experience in um, launching businesses and running businesses in the city, whether it's on your own or with other people, uh, I guess what have you learned through those years? Like when you look at it now and you go, oh, if I'd known this 10, 20 years ago, it would have made my life so much easier. Because I do think that sometimes for people listening, people do have great ideas. They just sometimes don't have the connections. Um, they don't have the people or maybe know that that first step. Or sometimes people try and they get they experience a little bit of failure, so they stop 
altogether. So I'd love to know from the two of you, because you've had successful businesses and you've fronted a lot of um, things in the city that have done well, sort of your like must do items in terms of being a successful entrepreneur. So Trish, I'll start with you. I think that successful entrepreneurs are perpetual students and you learn from other people, whether they're mentors or other markets. And so I think we all do a good job at looking to mentors and asking the right questions and learning from them. There's a lot of people in the city that have pioneered how to grow businesses. And so there was a generation of Mark McEwen and Peter Oliver and and they built incredible teams and brands. Uh, and it's happening again with the next generation. And then you look to other markets and and uh, Steve and the Feast team have done that so well. We've looked to the U.S., we've looked to the U.K., we see what's working, we're paying attention, um, and then we pioneer on our on our own and we understand this city. Um, the, the Feast team is from this city. Our management team of 10 plus, uh, you know, Steve grew up on a farm. Like all of us know the we're part of the fabric of the city. We understand our customers because we are our customers and we know what they want. And if we don't know or we're not sure, we'll learn from them and, and we ask the questions. So uh, and then you learn as you go and you stay agile. And so part of it is um, we'll we'll pay attention and we'll we'll be agile and we'll change as we need to change. And we won't compromise on quality. That's the main thing is we won't budge. Um, and, and it's not that it's not accessible, it's very accessible and it's simple. The food's going to be simple and beautiful and delicious, but we just won't budge. I mean, Steve's not going to budge on green. He's not going to budge <laughs> on responsible. He's not going to budge on sustainable and Kurt's not going to budge on quality and ingredients and preparation and style. So I think that's how you do it. And so this, so Feast is really going to be um, a, solu- a meal solution for people who want quality food, lunch or dinner, and uh, and and just are probably a little bit time strapped. So they're able to go, you know, with the app or when it's web-based and do exactly. that. Okay. I think the main point is that exactly what you just said, time starved, but also you don't want to always default to the unhealthy in terms of takeout. And you also, as a time starved parent, don't want to feel guilty about mm-hmm. having to give in. Right. Um, and back to your entrepreneurial question, I think for me, it's about two things, which is just to always go with your gut. I mean, I think of myself at the end of the day as a food curator mm-hmm. and my gut has always led me to the right place. And when I, you know, follow that instinct, but as well to face your fears. Yeah. When it's scared, when you're scared, you're probably doing something right. That's good. Well, thank you both and congratulations and good luck. So in a couple of weeks, this will launch so you can uh, find out some information on eatfeast.com. After the break, we'll get into your brain and tell you why you react the way you do to scary movies and haunted houses. You're listening to The Paychan Show on In-Depth Radio News Talk 1010. continues on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. Hey, thanks for tuning in, everyone. If you missed uh, my little announcement off the top of the show, uh, this is actually my last Sunday night show uh, starting this coming weekend, Saturday. The show will be moving to Saturdays at 3 p.m., so I'll be following Ted Walshin. Um, so thanks to everyone who has let me be a part of their Sunday evenings for the past two years. Um, I do hope that you will tune in on Saturday at 3 and uh, continue to text and write in. Um, and if you can't, because I understand that, you know, sometimes 
you listen at certain periods that are convenient to you. Uh, I do want to remind you that I do put the podcast of the show online. So uh, you can still listen to the show, um, perhaps not live, but you can still listen to it on podcast. And you can always find those in the iTunes store and also on paychen.com. So Halloween, less than a week away. Some of us just love being spooked, but whether we like it or not, there are certain ways to to design a spooky experience that will get the biggest reaction. And someone that's sort of looked into all of this is Dr. Colin Ellard, who's on the line. He's a cognitive neuroscientist at the University of Waterloo and also the director of the Urban Realities Laboratory. Uh, Dr. Ellard, thank you for joining me tonight. Hi, Peter. My pleasure. Now I know that you've got a, I've got you've got a new book out. So it's called Places of the Heart: The Psychogeography of Everyday Life. So congrats on that. Thank you. So now I know we're talking about because Halloween's coming up. So this is sort of good timing. But the um, the psychology of haunted houses, which I never would have really thought about. So why would this interest you? Well, I'm uh, interested generally in the impact of the emotional impact of different kinds of spaces on on human beings and their behavior so i spent most of my time thinking about you know how to design nice places nice cities nice homes and so so on but you know the, the counter of that is uh what happens in spaces that might produce uh, anxiety or fear in people and so that's you know the natural progression of that is to think about what people experience in a so-called haunted house. Now, would it be, um, would our experience, like the way we react, be similar to when we watch a scary movie as well, or is that different? Uh, it's it's a little different. There there are some similarities, but the, the experience of being in something like a, like a haunted house, of course, would be a lot more immersive than seeing something on a screen. People differ very much in their ability to become immersed in a story that they might see in a movie as anybody who goes to see a scary movie will notice there are some Mm -hmm. people who are pitching the popcorn in the air and jumping out of their seats and there are other people who are quite a bit more stoic yeah i'm the Um, one who's usually like gasping and (laughs) and very shocked by yeah i I don't know why even though i know stuff is coming like you know i know the girl's turning around the corner in the house i'm like oh there's something that's going to jump out and for some reason when it jumps out i still am startled i'm I'm not quite prepared for it so now we're um, if we were talking about uh, a haunted house experience, I think that as adults, we go through it. We know there's going to be we know there's going to be a zombie. We know someone's going to you know reach out and grab us, and we know that it's all we know that it's make believe. But why is it that we can still get so scared? Well, um, a part of it is is the fact that uh, what we're doing is something that we do in the real world all the time, which is weighing out the, the costs and benefits of different kinds of risks. So it's related in a way to something like, you know, people's fear of crime. Um, we have fears about bad things happening to us that are completely out of culture with the realities. So we, we've all been afraid at some points in our lives, I'm sure, of, of something terrible like being murdered happening to us. But the likelihood that that's actually going to happen is tiny. On the other hand, the the... The penalty for not worrying about something that does happen is so huge that the, the way that the costs and benefits work is that it's better to actually be overly anxious in terms of the uh, your likelihood of surviving uh, to old age. So evolutionarily, it kind of makes sense to have those kinds of fears, but rationally, it really doesn't. 
Now, what are some of the, I guess, tricks of the trade used by people who stage like really good spooky experiences? Because I'm thinking there are some people who love to go all out for Halloween and they like to do something in front of their house that will scare the trick-or-treater. So I guess what is involved in some of this planning? Okay, well, the uh, there, there are a few things and all of them kind of tap into uh, different aspects of our natural psychology. So one of the things that that we all know, again, from personal experiences, that we have this kind of uh, tendency to see faces everywhere where there aren't faces. Like in Toast, and that happens. People, exactly, <laughs> people exactly. see uh, Elvis, yeah, no, they see totally. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The Jesus in the Toast phenomenon. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly it. So if you can find a way to kind of duplicate that, to have something that's sort of ambiguous, but maybe with creative lighting or something like that, maybe oh. is a face, maybe isn't. Yeah. And you don't know for sure until you get close. Uh, that'll that'll do it. Um, anything that that uh, where you can play with the geometry of what can be seen and what can't be seen. So um, anything that that uh, generates any kind of feelings of mystery, like I don't know what's there, I have to go forward to find out. It's Halloween. Chances are I may not like what I'm going <laughs> to find, but I'm pulled into the scene anyway. Now, what is it that attracts us. Like, first of all, I'm one of those people I don't like scary movies because I get so terrified. Even though it is a movie, I'm terrified of haunted house experiences. If people say, you know, I remember being a teenager and they'd be like, let's go through the graveyard on Halloween. <laughs> I was the one who never wanted to go. Even though I know no, I know nothing is going bad is going to happen, especially in a haunted house that I'm paying $10 to go into. But why are we so attracted to these <laughs> things, whether like they're real or not? Yeah, it seems kind of weird, doesn't it? It's uh, part of it is is I think a reaction to uh, boredom. I think that it's something that we can do to shake ourselves out of the uh, the everyday experience. It's something unusual. It's unique. But I think that there's a there's a more interesting answer that has to do with again with our evolutionary history. I think that you can see those kinds of experiences as constituting a kind of a practice for. Um, emergency situations that might occur to us in in real life. So there's it, it could be adaptive for us to put ourselves into situations of of fake risk, almost think of it like playing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that uh, when we are in situations of real risk, we'll have had the practice. We'll know how it feels. We'll know how to respond, and hopefully, we'll know what to do. Yeah, because, you know, like I said, I'm the person who doesn't like those experiences and who is usually dragged in. But there's always that one person, that one friend who loves who loves to be scared, who yeah. lives on it. And I, is that like yeah. an adrenaline sort of thing? Yeah, I think it's 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 related to, you know, people have differences in personality. Some of us are, are sensation seekers and some of us aren't. And I think someone who's sensation seeking would be the kind of person who would be most likely to experience lots of boredom in their everyday lives <laughs> and would be more likely to want the kind of thrill of going into that kind of environment and getting freaked out, getting frightened. So for people who want to create a really spooky experience for Halloween and trick-or-treaters, you're saying like ambiguous faces. I think of that scream mask, which is terrifying. Yeah, yeah um, exactly. And yeah. then... You were saying like with lighting, so you know that's why it's like there's there's the coffin that's partially opened and you don't know what's in there. <laughs> exactly, that's that's right. And then and then another thing that is is really important is the um, the, the speed with which things happen. So 
something that happens very quickly and unexpectedly, of course, is going to be one of the most frightening events. So if you think again of people's front porch displays, the kind of things that they might have, unexpected movement is uh, is terrific for producing uh, thrill. Okay. Um, especially if it's something that happens suddenly. Yeah, and and that's when they drop their candy and you get to keep it all. Um, thank that's you so right. much, <laughs> Dr. Allard, for your time. I appreciate it. You're so welcome. That's Dr. Kel, uh, Colin Ellard. He's the author of Places of the Heart, The Psychogeography of Everyday Life. Also a uh, cognitive neuroscientist at the University of Waterloo with all the great tips for making your Halloween the spookiest. You're listening to The Pay Chen Show on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. Hey, thanks for tuning in tonight. Just a quick reminder that uh, the show is going to be moving to Saturday afternoons at 3 p.m. starting this coming Saturday, which is actually Halloween. So that means that I will no longer be here with you on Sunday evenings, uh, which I think is probably saddest for Vinnie White. Um, so we've got like 10 minutes where I'm thinking that a really huge gift is going to come through the door because he's going to miss me so much. Were you saying something? I sort of tuned out, to be honest. I brought you something, and you don't even appreciate it. She texts me, said, it's my last... Because this is how Pei Chen speaks, as you know. It's my last show on the Sunday. They're moving my show. I'm moving my show to Saturday. Why don't you bring me flowers? So I brought you two flowers. He brought me two dead flowers that he stole off someone's planter on the way here. And one was, like, it's actually one and a half flowers. One was a bit limp, and it looks, <laughs> I didn't realize it had some insect damage. So I appreciate all the thoughtfulness that went into that, Vinny. Just answer this question with a yes or no answer. Did I bring you flowers today? No. But, but that's, a, that's a lie. What else would you call them? Um, compost. Wow. What's coming up on your show? Is it an hour dedicated to me? Oh, my God. This is so sweet. No, I'd rather have a couple of listeners. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I think I'm going to be talking about Ai Weiwei. Ai Weiwei. I always get it wrong. It's quite straightforward. What's his name? Are you asking me because I'm Asian? Wow. This, This really jumped into a whole new world pretty quickly. No, I'm asking you because I'm finding it difficult to pronounce his name. That escalated quickly. You must know he's one of your lot. (laughs) I wait. wait. The artist. I I mean, is that the best way to? I don't know the best way to call to introduce him. Yeah, it is. He's a contemporary. Contemporary artist. Yeah. I don't know. What was that? Was that a sentence? So, if you're losing steam on this show, (laughs) anyway, (laughs) it's my last. Sunday night show. In I answer, don't have to walk to work in the dark anymore. In answer to your question, we're going to be talking about Ai Weiwei, the Chinese political artist, and the fact that he, I don't know if you know this, he wanted to do an exhibition in Melbourne, Australia, mm-hmm. and the whole point was to depict political figures in Lego. So he phoned up Lego and he said, Hiya, can you ship and a stupendous amount over? Oh, yeah. And they said, no, they we're no. not going to do it because you're going to do something political with Lego and we don't do that. They don't want to be a part of any sort of political statement that no. he makes. Even no. though I think most people who are smart realize he's not uh, he's, he's not crazy. Like a lot of his statements, I think, make, um, they make people think, you know, they're not... Uh, 
Definitely. Okay. Uh, so, but I mean, uh... the Chinese government would have you believe that he's crazy. Yes, that's and that true. He's a traitor and he's evil, but he he depicts many uh, wrongdoings and sheds light on a lot of uh, terrible human rights travesties in China. Well, Lego, you're missing out. Did you used to play with it when you were a kid? Yeah. Lego, I mean. Yes, mm. I did. Everyone did, didn't they? I think so, really. The, you... We only had so many toys invented in the 80s. It was only like five toys to choose from. <laughs> <laughs> so there was Lego, there was Barbies, there were Hot Wheels cars. Um, maybe there were only three. <laughs> Which was the most painful to tread on in the middle Oh, of the yeah, night. Lego's pretty bad. Yeah. But kids, did, you didn't really walk on the Lego as a kid. You were, for some reason, as an adult, it's, it's extremely painful. As a child, true. you knew better. No, I think you, you did, really, but your body you weight was so light and you were so invincible that you didn't really care. No, it just it tickled. Yeah, but now if you tread on a Lego brick, you think about getting rid of your baby. Now, yeah, you just like crumble to the ground. Yeah, in and you're pain. like, oh, I don't need this child anymore if this is the sort of thing that's going to happen. No, but I'll keep the Lego. Yeah. That's right. I had Scalectrix, or it's Scalextrix. I always forget. I have no idea what you just said. Oh, maybe that didn't happen here. Oh, <laughs> this is a whole new world. I didn't know. Um, Okay, this might just be a British thing. <laughs> I don't know what you were just... What, what? are you talking about? Is really? A toy? Oh, that's amazing. No, I, wanna... could, I don't know what you're talking so, about. So, text in on 71010 what you call it in Canada. It's a small car with a, a little... Um, it's essentially like a train track, but a car on a train track that you zoom round and round and round. Like Hot Wheels? Like they would have little tracks and you could attach the, the tracks okay. together and create loop-de-loops? 10 years on, I'm still doing this. It's amazing, isn't it? I didn't know, I've never heard of Hot Wheels. So I'm going to say yes, but I don't know. I think it's. A, I think we're talking about a similar thing. Right. With little dinky cars and little and tracks that you could create and you could make little loops and you can have yeah. to go down the couch and it down had the stairs. A, a fin almost that was underneath it. So it slotted in, yeah? Sort of. Yeah, I mean, it would have been, it was my brother's toy that I occasionally you know, played with. Yeah. Well, do text in if you're British and you can <laughs> confirm this. I think that we're talking about the same thing. I but think so. I had that, and, but I never put it together because... Um, you're lazy. No, it wasn't that. It was just... <laughs> my mum and dad were a bit poor, so they bought about 10 different boxes, but it was all different gauges and it didn't fit together. Oh. And I don't think there was ever a combination after about a year of attempting to make a track. I don't think there was one, so I just gave up with it. You just didn't bother. I think it's dented me and turned me into the rather warped and twisted man it I am. It may have. Um, guess what I found out today, which was really quite shocking to me. You love me and you've been hiding it. That was definitely not what I was about to say. Okay. So, because I'm moving, by the way, my place is a disaster. I'm mm. uh, moving this week and I've been packing and there are a few things that I've been uh, trying to sell. So I've been putting them on Craigslist, for example. I mm. sold two things. I sold my entire bedroom it, it was like a bed frame with shelves and stuff and my couch. So what I didn't realize was, you know, I, you don't typically invite a total stranger over to your place. Well, you and do. then I do sometimes. Mm. Um, and then just have them come in and, you know, you're like, sure, internet person that I've corresponded with twice, come on in. Mm. So after the first time, uh, a couple of my friends and people on Facebook were like, you shouldn't do that again. You should always, you should have a friend with you the next mm, time they come over. But then I just felt really... I, I was really cocky. I was like, no, I got this whole stranger danger thing down, this whole stranger on the internet yeah. thing. Here's my address. Here's my phone yeah. number. Come on over at 8 p.m. on a Tuesday <laughs> night because you said that's convenient for you. Mm. So come on in and welcome to my home and I'll lock the door. <laughs> so it's actually worked out fine. Mm. Um, but I posted something today. It was like a little TV console. And I get a message 
from a guy, and his name is Pei. And I, my jaw dropped. He said uh, it was one of those uh, Facebook communities because they have um, by neighborhood, like buy and sell groups. So I had posted one in the buy and sell group that's near me. Mm. And he said, oh, I'm just wondering if your TV console is available. He's like, oh, and we have the same name. And I click on his profile and his name is Pei. Is he going to give you money? For this. He would have, except for I promise it to someone else. But oh. I'm so amazed. I'm like, oh my God, I've never met someone who had the same name and spelled it the same, P-A-Y. Well, what was I was getting to with that is if he if he did buy it, you could say, pay, pay, got... pay. <laughs> Fact. <laughs> pay, pay, pay. That, no, I'm not even going to, I won't say it because you know I'm what? not going to sell it to him. I just don't think that you love me as much as you used to. <laughs> Could there? Could it be less? It's like um, it's like we've always been a brother and sister, but it's recently true. I feel like um, our parents have given me loads of stuff, and you're a bit jealous. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, you gave any all the all? I don't know what. Scale electrics. Oh, the scale electrics. <laughs> okay, we're in our last minute now. Um, oh, I miss oh, you. Um, I know. I like doing this with you. That's actual sincerity there. I know. It's hard to tell sometimes what's sincere and what isn't. Mm, that was real. That was real? Good luck, mate. I'll be listening on Saturday at three o'clock. <laughs> I don't know that you will, but I will test you on that by calling into your show and by texting your show incessantly, yeah. nonstop. So thanks, everyone, for uh, letting me be a part of your Saturday evenings for the past two years Sunday. and a bit. Sunday evening. Sunday. I've already moved ahead. <laughs> Day evenings. You can join me at uh, 3 p.m. on Saturdays on News Talk 1010. But I do hope that uh, you will continue to listen to the show, even via podcast, paychen.com. You can find me online at paychen. Have a great night. Vinny White is coming up next. And uh, probably my big surprise from Vinny White is going to come to the door in the next three seconds. That was a good one. See you on Saturdays, everybody. Have a great week.